Hey everyone, welcome back and welcome to episode three of season four of Whiskey Queens. This week we're talking about Japanese whiskey still, but we're going to be wrapping it up. Specifically, Paul's going to be talking about Nika coffee grain whiskey. Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to check us out at whiskeyqueens.com, at the Whiskey Queens on Instagram, and be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and here's the show. Ooh, that was a good one. Hey. Oh, you're welcome. Fucking master of unscrewing shit. Oh, I appreciated your first attempt when you then realized you were covered in Annie's bunny crackers. You're welcome. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Happy, happy Tuesday in our universe. Happy uh, whenever you're listening to this to everyone else. Girl, you're putting a timestamp again. I know. I'm now kind of doing it to irritate you. I know you are, and you're doing a great job. <clears throat> well, welcome <laughs> to episode three of season four of the Whiskey Queens. I am one of your favorite hosts, Paul. <laughs> of, of the two of us. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, everyone. So and that's Nicolas, as I call him. We're here, we're queer, we're both probably exhausted, but um, yeah, we made it. We're here, we're recording, and we're talking about Japanese whiskey, and heads up, next week we are taking a week off because I will be on vacation, and I do not know how to record while I'm traveling, so there it is. Can I also tell you that when you said that, the first thing that popped in my head was heads up, seven up? Oh, that's a totally fair assumption, yeah, I like that. <laughs> and I was like, God, I haven't played that since elementary school. Mm. Heads up 7-Up, um, we will not be on next week. Um, but when we do get back, we are supposed to be, don't hold me to this, but we are supposed to be talking about Welsh whiskey. If I can get my hands on it, we'll talk about it. We'll be talking about something. We'll, we'll be transitioning at that point to whiskeys of the world. Yeah, so a smattering we'll transition, of Yeah, we'll, we'll have transitioned from the five major whiskey producers to some other smaller spatterings from around the world, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need so, to go uh, source some stuff and see what I can actually drink. You know, true. Does. But what I should probably work say? on that over the next couple of weeks myself. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, one, what are you drinking? And two, why are you drinking this week? All in one in a pretty little bow. So I am drinking last week's whiskey because I've really enjoyed it. I've been working on it. Oh, the so Nabushu. I am drinking the Nabushi. And I'm and doing it as a whiskey and soda. So, so like a Japanese highball. So like a Japanese highball. Um, I did not pour mine like you poured yours last week, though. I used a reasonable amount of whiskey and soda. Not everyone can live up to my infamy. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, but why? I'm, I'm, I'm drinking to a great weekend and an insane week ahead. So I, I told you last week we had a visitor. So Beth our mutual friend from DC, like zoomed in and out in 36 hours. Um, we had an amazing and visit. He means in person, not over the platform. Yes, sorry, not Zoom, like digital. Like she legit like flew into Portland, hung out for like a whole 36 hours and then put her back on a plane this morning and she is off to her next destination as she does her, her US tour before she heads back to the Caymans. Um, but like all around craziness, like Brendan was out of town. He had flights canceled, like flights rescheduled. Beth was in, Beth was gone. Um, yeah, I'm drinking instead of, you know, dieting for the beach this week. It's all good. So how about you? It's beautiful. That's what you should be doing. Mm. Well, first and foremost, it would not be the Whiskey Queens if I did not say this, that I am drinking because I like to drink. That is always number one. 
Yes, it is. Number two is I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go with I am wearing your groom's crew tank. I'm looking fucking amazing in it right now. My tits are out and she's great. I love um, how you did like a pre like recording pump. I feel like you did like a couple of like pull-ups before you jumped on the call. I actually didn't. I just cycled for 30 minutes. Uh. So my body's like Bleh. um, hence why I'm probably a little more buzzed than I should be. I ate all my crackers. <laughs> I'm here. Um, yeah, but we're going to go with that because it's a fun, it's a fun t-shirt and it still fits all these years later. So that's promising. So I'm going to get off of this podcast recording and immediately go try mine on because that is going to set the tone for the rest of the week. Just, just so we're all mentally prepared for it. If I can get into that tank top, it's going to be a good week. And if I can't, it's going to be a rough three more days. Let us all pray it fits. Yeah, we'll, I'll let you know on the gram. Um, so you're talking about, what are you drinking? Well, yeah, I was like, don't steal it from me, bitch. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I am drinking Nika coffee grain whiskey. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be great for us. You know, we started with Suntory. You mm-hmm. talked about sort of a smaller offshoot distillery. And I thought it'd be great to sort of round out uh, Japanese whiskey talking about the second uh, most famous, you know, Japanese brand, which is Nika. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah. Um, but before you get to Nika, which I'm like very tempted to go buy a bottle because it looks so pretty when you held it up. Um, it's delicious. Um, it, is it really? I'm not enjoying it. I've had, I had some yesterday when I was doing my notes. I had some today. I'm having some I, now. I did notice the level of the bottle when you held it up. Um, so before you do your day, I'm going to give like the final wrap up of the history, which isn't really history and credit where credit is due. Paul saved my ass because it's been a like whirlwind of 48 hours. He sent me a lovely article that helped put a bow on this entire like part of the season. You're welcome. I mean, you do so much for the podcast. I guess I could help you periodically. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I like logged on today. I had a few extra minutes at work in between things and like the script was already started. It was glorious. So to wrap all of this up, um, we've been talking about how the fact that like Japanese whiskey doesn't have a long history. Um, They don't have the kind of the length of history with whiskey because it's really something that came from other countries as an import. So there's kind of this question around that though of like, what is Japanese whiskey? They don't have this long running history. They kind of brought it in through trade and had to determine what it was. Um, So it's kind of this really narrow path that Japanese whiskey has taken kind of created from two very distinct personalities who are players in the whiskey world. What we've been talking about over the last two weeks is, you know, I think it bears repeating is like kind of what is, and that is Japanese whiskey really takes its cue from scotch and Scottish whiskey. Um, What Takasuru, did I get that right? Thank you. Uh, What Takasuru learned and was able to bring back with him to Japan after his time studying and apprenticing in Scotland was the basic idea of a barley forward mash brought along by Scottish distillation and maturation methods. And you talked about that really when he wanted to have something by the water that really kind of encompassed what Scotch was and what he had learned when he was apprenticing. Um, But we also know that that's not all Japanese whiskey is or even close to. So our friend Robin Robinson and our handy dandy book allude to the fact that whiskey is of Japan really are whatever the distiller thinks it should be. 
paying a lot of attention to some core principles that include tradition and honor and integrity. Uh, we saw this kind of in the divergence between the two whiskey fathers, where one distiller took that more traditional path of scotch-like whiskeys, and the other really created something that was more in line with the Japanese palate, light, floral, fruity forward. So Japanese whiskey is what it is. It is something that is really taking the distiller kind of drives the direction of the whiskey based off of kind of the palate and some of them follow that more traditional path and some of that follow like this is what our this is what our culture typically embodies this is what we want to produce and what our version of a whiskey is so you layer onto this the idea of continuous improvement which is kind of huge in japanese culture um, and this is discussed in the book but i've also heard it quoted by rachel green who we've talked about a bit before in past seasons um, but in her book, she talks about how she spent time with Japanese distillers and how she essentially was told that if the whiskey you taste here today is the same whiskey that you taste when you come back in the future, they effectively haven't done their jobs. Um, they, they haven't tried to improve or expand on what they've been doing. Whereas we're over here like, bitch, it needs to taste like I tasted in 1694. Yep. Exactly. When I buy this bottle of fill in the blank, I want it to taste the same four years from now when I buy the same bottle, um, which I think is in a very, like a very American concept. Like when you walk into your favorite restaurant, you want to have the same exact thing sometimes, some of us, not all of us, not speaking on a macro scale here, but I think a lot of Americans expect what they expect the way they expect it. Your point? No, I was gonna say, I would argue that's sort of a Western yeah, concept, right? So, cause it's not, I mean, cause I think Ireland, Canada, yeah, you know, no, Scotland totally right. all sort of have that similar adoption where you find the right formula and then you keep the formula. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, but their goal really is to improve and expand on what they've been doing. So it's a balance of honoring tradition, but also continuously improving what they've been producing each time. Um, they go through the whole cycle and concept of continuous improvement in the book without getting too much into like a flow chart at like six o'clock on a Tuesday. Um, I don't want to do that to anyone. It's generally yeah. the idea of identifying a problem, determining the cause, creating solutions, testing, implementing, standardizing, repeat, like wash, rather rinse, repeat. So with that, what's interesting about the books we keep referencing is that they're static. So like they're, they're copywritten, they're at a certain point in time. It so, was published in what, like 2018? Yeah, so they're a few years old. So they've already been printed. They're a bit stuck in time, which most whiskeys are. Um, but what we're talking about here is Japanese whiskeys. And like I said earlier, you saved my ass and sent me an article that I do want to mention that kind of goes hand in hand with where the books have left off given kind of when they were published and now the internet. So the last thing is the... Oh, actually, before I get to that, one more thing. I'm going to backtrack. The last thing is really the geography of Japan also makes their whiskey really interesting. And I completely forgot about this because it's from a new book I just bought. Um, but they encounter four seasons every single year. And the difference is, even though they have kind of four distinct seasons, they're very much like the US in the sense that they have these vastly different geographic regions that also lend something totally different to the whiskey they're distilling based off of where the distillery might be located. So you look at a Tennessee whiskey and that is extremely different because of the situation of where it's located versus a whiskey coming out of the Northeast or whiskey coming out of maybe like the Pacific Northwest, um, taking out of consideration like temperature control and warehouses and things like that. But you get humidity, you get heat, you get cold, you get expansion, you get all of these different things that mess Different water them. sources. Different yeah. water sources. That's an excellent point. Although some people argue that doesn't actually have any impact, which I call bullshit on. 
Um, but you get well, all these, yeah, you get all these different things that impact it, like humidity and temperature change and kind of casks swelling and casks contracting. And it lends itself to the taste of the whiskey. And the same type of thing happens in Japan. So that was the last point I wanted to make before I get to your article, which I will link in show notes. Um, but what this talks about is in 2021, there are now new labeling standards in Japan. So on February, and I'm going to read a quote for everyone. Um, so on February 16th, 2021, the Japan Spirits and Liquor Makers Association made an announcement for standards of labeling Japanese whiskey, hereafter referred to as labeling standards. The labeling standards have been instituted by the association themselves, including Nikko Whiskey, an internal rule to define Japanese whiskey, effective starting April 1st, 2021. So as of April 2021, Japanese whiskey has rules to play by, which wasn't the case until this year. Um, so I'll link this in show notes, but kind of a, a quick high-level overview. What I do find interesting is we always refer to Japanese whiskey as W-H-I-S-K-Y. They actually say that you can refer to it both ways. So they can label Japanese whiskey K-Y or K-E-Y, which I kind of thought was interesting. Um, the raw ingredients must be limited to malt grain, other cereal grains, and water extracted in Japan. Um, and then a couple of other interesting pieces were the, distil uh, the distilled product must be poured into wooden casks not exceeding a capacity of 700 liters, matured in Japan for a period of at least three years after being placed in the cask. Um, and the other really interesting piece is they do allow caramel coloring in their whiskey. Hmm. Yep, um, and it has to be 40% ABV, which is pretty standard. I'd be surprised if they deviated from that. Yeah. Um, but like Japanese whiskey now kind of has a definition as of this year. Well, how about that? Yeah. So that is what Japanese whiskey technically is now. Like there's actually like a definition for it. That's super exciting. And there you are. And thank you for your assistance. You're welcome. <laughs> so tell us about Nika. I'm really curious. Yeah, so... As I said at the outset, I am drinking. Y'all can tell when he leans into the microphone. Yeah, I also am feeling him. I'm feeling it. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> um, I am drinking. Woohoo! I am drinking Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. This is one. This is one of the signature grain whiskeys from Nika. It was released in 2012. It's 45% ABV or 90 proof. This mofo costs me. $80.47. The list name. price was $72.99. Uh, and then DC taxes hit me with another $7.48, bitches. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just had to say that because I was a little frustrated by it. <laughs> um, as I was telling Nick in the pre-show, I was debating between this bottle and a bottle that they launched in, that Nika launched in 2020, named after its founder, Masataka Takatsuru. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but that bottle was like a $90 base price. And I was like, okay, we're talking, we wanna be a little more accessible. I want something that like people can easily reference. And so I ended up deciding to go with the uh, Nika coffee grain whiskey. It's, <laughs> I was just gonna say, I think you, so like it's a pricier bottle, but we're still not buying bottles that are in like the hundreds range. Like we're, it is, it is a pricier bottle. It is probably not in everyone's reach to grab a bottle of this, sure. but it's also like, we're not buying a $300 bottle, nor were we given a $300 bottle by a brand rep and told to like promote it. So like, sure. 
it is a nicer whiskey. It is definitely higher up on the price point, but I still, I still think you yeah. kept it reasonable. It's not the Yamazaki 12 that I want. That's $150, but you know, it's not, we'll get there. We'll get there one day. Um, this, uh, the Nika coffee grain whiskey is predominantly made from corn with a dash of malted barley as, uh, Flavier, is that how you say it? Flavier says. I asked you last week and you told me. Flavier, Flavier. I'm going to say Flavier because I like it better. There you go. It's distilled in a coffee still and matured in oak casks, such as refilled, remade, recharred casks originally made from American oak to deliver the sweet and, as they say, the sweet and mellow flavors of coffee distillates. Not coffee as in the thing you drink in the morning, mm -hmm. but coffee distillates as in from the coffee column still. Thank Did you I get that, that right? Yes, thank you for okay. that clarification because I feel like this easily, because of how much people like to fuck with shit now, like wine that's matured in like whiskey barrels and like- Which I have behind me. Yes. Whiskey that's matured in like coffee barrels, like this could easily be like a flavored whiskey. Sure, sure, sure. So let's do a quick history refresher here. Aeneas Coffee, hence the name coffee, uh, invented the coffee still in 1830. Now, remember, ladies and gentlemen, from previous seasons that he introduced it in Ireland and those bitches like, we don't want it, take it somewhere else. And so he took it to Scotland and they're like, we fucking love it. We're gonna use it. And so, if you listen to episodes one and two of this season, you can sort of see the through line, yeah. which was that Masatika Takasuru studied in Scotland, as I sort of talked about, you know, talked about, I think in both episodes actually, mm -hmm. um, where he garnered firsthand experience with the coffee still at uh, the James Calder distillery in uh, Bonus, Scotland in 1919. So Nika ultimately ended up importing and installing two coffee stills from Scotland, the first in 1963 and the second in 1966. The tasting notes on this mofo, which I also got from our dear friends, courtesy of Flavier, as I like to say. <laughs> they're very they're, handy. They're very they're, handy. They're probably like, bitch, I ain't called that, okay? With flavor. We'll call you by your proper name when you help us yeah. with some fun If you box. want the right name, you correct me, okay? Okay. There you go. Here we are. But anyway, the appearance and color is golden amber, which I get in my glass. I will tell you that the bottle is tinted, so you can't sort of see it, unlike the Toki, which you could see my delicious face through the Wait, bottle. Is the this, bottle tinted? Yes. This bot don't, yes. So I can't tell through the Zoom call, but like the, oh, it does. It has like a gray tint to the bottle. Okay. Yeah. yeah because when you hold up the bottle, that looks like dark burn no anger. so here's what it looks like oh in wow. the glass. okay yeah, yeah. that's kind of deceiving i know we love a little deception don't we As I, yeah i pour a little more in the and she glass. keeps going yeah no i legit thought that was like a like a dark amber whiskey okay mm -mm. no golden amber ladies and gentlemen golden okay the nose vanilla corn herbals spice and chamomile okay really Okay. Really? Tell us what you really have. I definitely get the vanilla. Let me tell you that much. I need a little spice, a little spice. I'm, I don't know that I can identify chamomile on a good day. So let's be honest. Um, but I definitely get the vanilla. The flavor, sweet fruit, melon, grapefruit, thick syrup. Where the fuck these people come from? 
crunchy biscuits. No, for real. Where did they come from? Oh my and God. fresh vanilla. I was, when I read this list, I was like, one, I'm going to read on the show because it's absurd. Two, like, are you kidding me? Like, why don't you just say it, it smells like sweet grass dipped in dark chocolate from Brazil with unique nuts found from the Amazon. Like, get out of my face. Mm-hmm. After the lawn was mowed on right. a, hot, like a full moon on a Tuesday. God, I just love insulting uh, all, all of the people that we talk about, apparently. This is why um, no one sponsors us. Well, you're right. <laughs> We're never going to be sponsored because I'm a dick. So <laughs> welcome to our unsponsored podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'll basically just pour my life savings into buying whiskeys to talk about them for you all. Okay. Oh, I love it. What I will say, as I said to Nick, it's definitely sweet on the palate. It's definitely because, you know, it's a high, it's a higher in the corn volume. So it's sweeter on the palate. It has a short, crisp, like burn to it. I don't know that I get biscuits. Now, are you thinking biscuit like English biscuit or are you thinking biscuit like buttermilk biscuit? Like what, what is in your head? So that's probably my problem. I'm over here thinking like, girl, I got a crunchy buttermilk biscuit and it don't no. taste like that. No, nope. they're thinking like, biscuit. Okay. Like a, like a vanilla. Okay. Yep. I can get that then. Okay. I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. It helps that I'm not a complete like <laughs> American tool. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Like think like McVitie's digestive cookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the delicious cookies I would get in England, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and the finish, long corn notes. I would say, I would say yes to the corn notes. I don't know that I would consider it super long. I, I had the opposite last week because they kept saying that it was like a really short finish on the Nabushi. And to me, it wasn't like it had a nice long finish. I don't know that this has a long finish. You'll have to try it and you can tell me what your thoughts are. Okay. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, I've had ones that are, that are long and I don't think this is necessarily one of them. So this is also one of the Japanese whiskeys that were featured in the article that Nick talked about and shared in a previous episode from liquor.com. The five essential Japanese whiskey bottles you need for your home bar that featured the the Suntory Whiskey Toki that we talked about, the Nabushi, Nabushi that you talked about. Now we're talking about Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. The other one that is on there is the, ooh, I should probably open the article before I start rambling shit that I don't know, right? Um, the other one was a Suntory Whiskey, which is the Habiki. And I don't know what the, the fifth one, Ohishi Whiskey, I probably fucked that up, so... We'll put it in show notes. The link will be in show notes. Y'all can see it. Okay, okay. So I'm not going to talk ad nauseum about the distillery because we talked about it in a variety of former fashions, but basically I want to give you all a quick refresher. If you want more deets on my dear friend, Masataka Takatsuru, you can go to episode two and hear more about him and his journey and his life's mission. I'm going to give you a real quick recap. Nika was founded by Masataka Takatsuru, who is one of the fathers of Japanese whiskey. He was born in 1894. That man studied, as we have already said, in Scotland at the University of Glasgow, and he apprenticed at three Scotch distilleries. We talked about James Calder and Bonus, where he really learned coffee green whiskey. He also apprenticed at Longmorn Distillery in Speyside to learn about malt whiskey production. Hazelburn Distillery in Campbelltown to learn malt whiskey production and blending. 
So he got lots of experience in Scotland. I think those last two are new information for me. New, yeah, because they are, because I included them. Thank you. Um, and like I said in episode two, he fell in love and he married himself a Scottish girl named Rita. <laughs> and Rita and him moved back to Japan. He worked for Shinjiro Tori, who was the founder of Suntory Whiskey, the first house of Japanese whiskey. He worked for him for 10 years on a contract. And he helped launch Suntory's first and Japan's first whiskey distillery, Yamazaka Distillery, which was outside of Kyoto or is outside of Kyoto. Yeah. In 1934, after his contract ended, he and his wife, Rita, moved to the small fishing village of Yoshi on the island of Hokkaido to build his first distillery and found Nika Whiskey. The distillery's name is named after the town, so it's the Yoshi Distillery. 1940, the first whiskey from, the first whiskey from, you know, the distillery called Nika Whiskey was launched. Um, 1969, the second distillery opened and started distillation. And I knew I should have looked up how to say something. I'm going to fuck this up. And it's going to annoy me. But I'm going to go for it. Doing a nice long pause here. Mm-hmm. Collect myself. Maya Gaikyo. We're going to go with that. Maya Gaikyo Distillery. Uh, which is in the northern part of mainland of Japan. And basically he was searching, you know, let me take a step back. One of the things we talked about last episode was that what Takutsuru was really focused on when it came to whiskey was location because he learned the whiskey production in Scotland. So his like vision of whiskey production was very much, where can we find like a replica of the like the environment yeah. You know, the water, the hills, the sea the... that mimics sort of Scotland's climate yeah. in Japan. And that's why he went to y- Yoshi. And that's why he built the distillery on the northern island of Japan, the first distillery. And so this one, he again wanted to find a site to sort of mimic Scotland's conditions. And he ended up coming across a beautiful foggy glen that was surrounded by mountains. And he was like, oh my God, it's like Scotland. Hey. <laughs> and at a junction of, and it was at the junction of two, I love how the history says clean rivers as opposed to dirty rivers. Oh God. Clean rivers, right? So once he tried the water from one of the rivers, he was like, girl, we won't build here, okay? This is it, this is it. Yeah, this is where we won't build. And one, that's now the water source. And he was so impressed, he immediately decided to build his second distillery there. Uh, and it just so happened to turn out that the name of the river was Nikawa River. Oh, look at that. It's like serendipitous, Kismet. right? You got to love it. So not, not to go from this delightful little ditty to like, oh, he died. But he I did. love how you just built that up <laughs> just to bring it right down. I know I'm terrible. Human. <laughs> but in 1979, Takatsuru died at the age of 85. I know. It's like, now what do I say? Wah, wah. I don't know what to do. Oh, God. I don't know why I put that in there. But I mean, I know why I put it. It was born in like the late 1800s. I mean, it's also to sort of relate to people that Japanese whiskey is still relatively new in in the terms of, you know, the arc in which we're talking about, right? Because when we're talking about like Jack Daniel and other people like that, we're talking about people from the 16, 17, 1800s. Yeah. Um, And this is much more recent, right? Totally. So Nika has nine whiskey expressions and 
a gin and a vodka expression, both sort of done in the coffee still uh, distillation style. And you're like, who are their corporate overlords, Paul? Because everyone's got one, right? They all do. And I'm like, girl, they do. Uh, mm. Yes. I was like, God damn it. I know how to say it, but I've had so much Nika whiskey that I don't know how to say it. Asahai Group Holdings is their corporate, corporate, is their corporate overlord, is their corporate overlord. Oh God. So Asahai mm-hmm. is a Japanese global beer, spirit, soft drinks, and food business. Shibig, Shibig, okay. Uh, just, just to give you a sense of how big, her 2020 revenue was about 2 trillion yen. And you're like, mm, what is that in US dollars, say you? God. And I say it's about 1.8 billion. No. I like how I say, uh-huh. Google, tells, Google tells me. I say, I now do conversions in my head, ladies and gentlemen. You want to know what yen is in the dollar? I'll make it up. 1.8 no. billion. Um, 1.8 billion. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Not small, not small at all. No. Um, and there's an, a variety, obviously, you know, soft drinks, beer, spirits, you know, food is all under this. A lot of a lot of the brands are sort of Eastern European, like Eastern world brands that some people may not be familiar with, but obviously Mika is one of them. Yep. The other big one that I think people would know is Peroni. Uh, so I saw that bullet point and I was like, I had no idea they owned Peroni. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that's Japanese whiskey. And that is Japanese whiskey, which I've enjoyed. It's definitely a whiskey that is lighter on the palate. Uh, that I think is good for summer, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm, it was totally accidental, but I'm very content with the timing of season four because mm-hmm. I now have all these lovely light whiskeys that I can drink without feeling like I'm having something really heavy and spicy in the middle of right. July. I'm down for it. I'm here for it. Um, so yeah, with that, we will not see you next week, but we will be back the week after with something from somewhere. And that is all I'm going to say. We like to be mysterious. We're not going to see you next week, bitches, but we will present something from somewhere when we return. Just totally, totally tune in. It'll totally be worth it. We just, we just don't know what we're drinking. Yeah. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, I'll decide to throw myself at Instagram or something like that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Help throw, fill the void. Throw right myself. There. Okay, girl. Be, Yes, lot. Mm. Um, on that token, I'll be on vacation next week. So yeah, it's been good. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you. I appreciate it. She's going for another drink. <laughs> Shut up. You know what? What? It's been great. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>